a global missions week like we enjoyed uh, recently certainly reminds us uh, the smallness of this globe. The world is small. And as we have um, partners from around the world come and join us and we get to sit across tables and we eat with them and we converse with them and it just reminds us again how we are one body in Christ. And it also reminds us that when one member suffers, we all suffer. And suffer the, the church of Jesus Christ does. We partner with people in West Africa who live under the terror constantly of a Muslim terrorist group called Boko Haram or another one of Fulani herdsmen who come and raid and kill and destroy. Um, our Pokot partners in West Kenya, they know what it's like to suffer from not just persecution, but famine and drought and hunger, disease, every day. As those pastors in Pokot travel in the hinterland of western Kenya, that's what they see, that's what they come across. China. The church in China has suffered for decades under the hands of, of oppression, of hatred. Our friends in India and Nepal and Bhutan, people that we, again, have a, a relationship with, that we work with, um, they know what it's like to live in a society where they are the outcasts, where they're the, the ones who are being prejudiced against. We see evil right here when uh, Curtis and Michelle Thompson uh, ministry partners in inner city Chicago have to duck bullets seemingly on a weekly basis living in inner city Chicago, which by the way is on track to be um, the, de the deadliest um, on record for the city of Chicago for murders and homicides. And then we had our new friends from um, Indian reservations, Native American reservations, where these Native American pastors um, tell us the incomprehensible agony. It's, it's almost hard to believe that just about, and you, some would say 100% of children growing up on the reservation today are going to be abused in some form or fashion, physically, certainly sexually. The reservation life where um, suicide has increased in the last 20 years by 70% among Native American men, and it's doubled that of women on the reservation, 140% increase in the last 20 years. It's the second leading cause of death, that is suicide, among Native American youth ages 10 through 24. Doesn't, doesn't take many statistics to remind us what John said in 1 John chapter 5, the whole world lies in the power, under the control, and the sway of the evil one. In C.S. Lewis's classic work, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, if you've read that, you recall the white witch has put all of the land of Narnia under its, her spell, 
has placed it in perpetual winter, and the spring never comes. Well, from Genesis chapter 3 to the end of the Bible, we're told that the world is in perpetual winter. It's a reign of death, of sin. Now, without being <clears throat> overly simplistic, I want to suggest that you can understand the story of the Bible, this unfolding story of the Bible, uh, as it begins in Genesis 1 and ends in Revelation 22. You can understand it by two promises that God made. Understand these two promises, you've got the Bible kind of wrapped up. Here's the first promise, Genesis chapter 2. And the Lord God commanded the man and said, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. God promises, eat the forbidden fruit. I promise you, death will come. God created a perfect world, a world he had stamped upon it his divine goodness. And then the serpent came and, and sin and, and the whole creation of God is plunged into death. Perpetual winter. Now, to understand our world today, and, and what I'm going to share this morning is, I, I would think everybody knows, this is just review. But sometimes we, I, I know I do, I get caught up in just the events of life and forget some of these basic um, it's biblical theologies of how to, how to understand life and the world. To understand our world today, we have to understand the implications of that promise. The day you eat of it, you will surely die. Death, of course, doesn't necessarily mean annihilation or ceasing to exist. It predominantly means to be alienated from, to be separated from. Alienation. God told Adam, on the day you eat of it, you will surely be alienated and separated. Death. But alienated and separated from whom? From what? Well, of course we know spiritual death occurred, a separation from God. In the day, to day you eat of it, you will be separated from me. Adam, you're going to be alienated from me, the source of all life, the source of all joy, the source of all wholeness and completeness, the source of meaning and purpose and all wisdom. You'll be separated from that. Here is man and woman created in the image of God, created with the capacity for relationship. Let us make man in our image. Let's, let's, let's put within them what we're not going to put in anything else in our creation, the divine trinity said. Let's, let's give them the capacity to relate. First and foremost with God. But death came. To be alienated from God meant now to be separated from him and all that he is and all that he was. It's highlighted. Take your Bibles, Genesis chapter 3. It's highlighted in chapter 3, verse 8.
the sound of the Lord came. He was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, verse 8. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The sound of the Lord. Previously, the sound of the Lord, it's implied, brought man running to him. The sweet fellowship and communion that a created being, Adam and Eve, had with the Creator. Placed within them that imago Dei, that image of God, and God walks in the garden and they have sweet communion and sweet fellowship and encouragement with one another. And now, winter has started. Death. And the sound of God causes man to run in fear, to be alienated and separated from God. Not only that, to be alienated and separated from God means to be alienated and separated from each other. Verse 7, the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverage. There's, there's shame, there's guilt. There's this sense of self-awareness and self-centeredness and guilt. Verse 12, when God confronts Adam, he simply said, the woman who, whom you gave to me, she gave me of the fruit and I ate. Alienation, conflict now between God's highest order of creation, mankind. The woman that you gave me, she made this happen. Man is separated from within himself. There's an alienation in his soul. Verse 10, God said, where are you? And he said in verse 10, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Fear. Mankind had never known fear before. There's a psychological death. There's an inner um, death that takes place. Man became afraid. It was over a decade ago that we studied here at Fellowship Bible Church the book of Ecclesiastes. It's a long time ago. Time flies. And the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes, he's called the, the preacher, Koheleth, makes this statement in the opening verse, verses. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. The NIV translates it this way. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. I can see the preacher, Koheleth, looking out over the events of the world, reading the daily newspaper and, and just shaking his head. Meaningless. Meaningless. All is meaningless. It's what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, a picture of mankind separated from God, alienated from the life of God. He said, this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as and he would be the, the unsaved world, those separated from God. The Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having been calloused, 
have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity and greediness. Paul's describing here vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Futility, futility. It's the state of the world. God promised it. And the day you eat of it, death, perpetual winter, alienation from God. That's what it brings. Now, this is all emphasized back in Genesis 3 when God gives out the, the judgments. He says to the serpent, he pronounces a judgment in verse 14. And then you jump down to verse 16 and he targets the woman, Eve. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. Verse 17, then to Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, don't eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. The NIV says, in painful toil. The word is the same word that is used in verse 16 of the curse of Eve. In pain you will deliver children. In pain you will raise those children. It implies not just physical pain, there's a internal, the, again, the psychological, the emotional, the grief, the pain. And it's the same word that's used in 17 and 18 with Adam. In fact, if you've got an English Standard Version, ESV, that's how it's translated. In pain, you will eat of it all the days of your life. Pain, that's what perpetual death involves. Life is painful because of sin. God had cursed his very good creation. Romans 8 tells us that. All of creation is groaning, is in pain, subjected, he says, verse 22, futility because of him who subjected it. In the day you eat of it, I promise you, death. Every aspect of God's creation that was once ordered and harmonious in relationship to him from the tiniest subatomic particle to the largest of galaxies now, everything has been turned on its head. Death reigns. Life is fleeting and transitory. And what the Bible is saying, you can't make sense of it. There's a, there's a futility to it. Um, we search for happiness, thinking that if we do all the right things, we'll get it, and it results seemingly in agony. We set out on life's journey believing that good things are going to happen to, you know, rarely, fairly decent people, and then we find bad things happen to decent people. When we least expect it, we get uh, a, a diagnosis of sickness. We lose a job. A, a relationship breaks up. A, a marriage falls apart. A, a child gets rebellious. Meaninglessness, the reign of death, the curse of death. 
has destined it to be so. And so the, the result is that every, the Bible teaches us every human being born in this world is born, who was it that said it? Um, Blaise Pascal, um, could refer to him a little bit. I think it was Blaise Pascal, the French mathematician and physicist of the 17th century, said that we're born with that, that God-shaped vacuum in our soul. Everybody born in this world is born with a hole in their soul. That they then attempt to fill with all sorts of things, power or prestige or sex or money or a better job or whatever it might be, self-fulfillment. This is the story of man. From Genesis 3 to this very day, this is the story of mankind. The whole inner soul attempted to be filled by everything that we can fill it with except God because mankind born of this world is born alienated and separated from God. And nothing mankind attempts to find is going to be capable of overthrowing the curse and reign of death. We live in perpetual winter. That's just the way it is. hundred years ago, G.K. Chesterton wrote probably the shortest essay known to man. The London Times was doing a, had invited uh, some people to write essays in response to this question, what's wrong with the world? And G.K. Chesterton submitted his reply, Dear sirs, I am sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. <laughs> Do you ever look out over the landscape of the world? I mean, you read the, the, the paper or listen to the news, you're going down the road and you got maybe NPR on, it's news time and you catch what's going on in the world. I mean, I think we're a fairly informed folk here. And when you hear the stuff that's going on in this crazy world, does it, we, we ask, what is happening? I mean, we know, okay, in the last days, perilous times are going to come. We understand that. I mean, we're, we're enough of, of Bible people here that we can understand these things. I still find myself sometimes in shock at the utter stupidity and evil that's going on in the world. And we can celebrate a governor's victory. Man, I do. You know, I, I'd say praise God for what happened this last week in terms of an election. But good night, folks. It's only a four-year election. It makes no difference in the whole in people's souls. We take, we take a couple of steps forward while we're taking 10 steps backwards at the same time. Make no mistake, we're living in perpetual winter. It's the reign of death. This world is experiencing the consequences of what it means to be alienated from God, our Creator. And nothing has changed since Genesis 3. Nothing has changed. I think you look over the epochs of human history, you, you would think that there are some times were far worse than other times, and there's these kind of warp and woofs of evil. 
At the beginning of this year, the largest community-based nonprofit mental health organization here in the United States did their massive uh, survey, over half a million Americans surveyed on issues of mental health. Probably no surprise that they saw issues of anxiety and depression increase. I was a little bit shocked to find it had risen 93% higher than just two years ago in 2019. 93% increase of anxiety. They found also that there was a 62% increase in clinical depression. 62% increase in clinical depression. More people reported suicidal thoughts this past year than any other time that they've been recording this. And of course, the biggest culprit of it all is loneliness, a sense of isolation. Now, folks, that wasn't caused by COVID. COVID just simply re revealed what was already there. Mankind is born with a hole in their soul. Everybody born in this world is alienated from God, is separated from God, the Bible says. Because God promised that if you eat of the fruit, all of creation and all subsequent progeny of Adam and Eve are born with a hole in their soul. Isolation, separation, alienation, a, a year and a half of a pandemic simply realizes, brings that to the surface. Without a pandemic, people can kind of shove things away, can quiet the loneliness in their soul. It's the reign of death. A few weeks ago, the Atlantic publication reported that the murder rate in this country has risen 30%. No surprise there. 30% increase, highest on record. An equal percentage, 30% of drug overdoses in this country. This year, it's the reign of death. It's perpetual winter. Now let's get just real personal. Your coworker who doesn't know Jesus, that person you work with, might be a very nice fellow teacher or fellow businessman, office worker. If they don't know Jesus, they have a God-shaped vacuum in their soul. There's a hole in their soul. They were created for fellowship with God. They're, they're, they're precious. They're a human being created within, in the image of God but born into sin, the Bible says, Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, so death has reigned and has been passed on to all because all men have sinned. And they might be a wonderful co-worker, but if we can only put on those special spiritual glasses and look into their heart, there's a hole in their soul that can only be filled by God. That friend that 
that neighbor who isn't a follower of Jesus, who doesn't believe in Jesus, they were made to glorify God. They were made to sing of his glory. That's where wholeness and happiness and true joy is found. But sin came and death reigns and their life is utter futility and meaningless. Oh, they may have the fancy house and the nice boat and the new car and the whatever else. Look at their soul. There's a hole in their soul. And it can only be filled by God. Why does an otherwise intelligent person believe that killing an unborn baby is, is the right of a woman? Alienation from God. What causes a young person to question which gender they are? Alienation from God. Why is there racial and ethnic hatred? White against black, black against white, Jew against Muslim, Muslim against Jew. Why? Alienation from God. Why does a man abuse his wife? Why does a, a mom kill her unborn baby? Why does a, a, a teenager run away from home? We are living in perpetual winter. And the people we rub shoulders with, if they don't know Jesus as their Savior, they're, they're lost, <laughs> is the phrase we use so flippantly sometimes in evangelical Christianity. They're hellbound. Sometimes we just need to, I think, hear this said, even though we know it up here. That coworker, that friend of yours, that neighbor, that grandparent of yours, that uncle or aunt of yours, that person that you're close with who doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, if they died today, they would go for eternity in hell. And I get upset over a Nebraska football game. I've ceased doing that a long time ago. It's like there, William Lane Craig in his book Reasonable Faith quotes Blaise Pascal, the 17th century French mathematician and physicist who wrote in his work Pensees. He, Pascal was summing up the, the, the mindset of a, of a person who doesn't know Jesus. He's putting himself in a first person as a person who doesn't know Jesus. And he wrote, I know not who put me into the world, nor what the world is, nor what I myself am. I am in terrible ignorance of, of everything. I know not what my body is, nor my senses, nor my soul, not, not even that part of me which thinks what I say, which reflects upon itself, as well as all external things, and has no more knowledge of itself than them. 
I, I see the terrifying immensity of the universe which surrounds me. And I find myself tied to one corner of this vast expanse without knowing why I'm put in this place rather than in some other place, nor why the short time which is given to me to live is assigned to me at this point rather than a, a, another part of eternity which is before me or, or which came after me. On all sides, I see nothing but infinity in which I am a mere atom a passing shadow which endures only for an instant and returns no more. And all I know is that I must soon die. And I don't understand, least of all, this very death which I cannot escape. Such is my condition. Oh, I'm full of weakness and uncertainty. There is an honest person. We are surrounded in this community, in this world, by people who have a God-shaped vacuum in their soul, alienated from the only source of wholeness and completeness and, and, and the Hebrew idea of shalom and l'chaim, life, separated from all of that because they're separated from God. And they're trying to fill it with all sorts of things. God is true to his promise. In the day you eat it, you will die. And we are in perpetual winter. But there's a second promise. In verse 15 of Genesis 3, God says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Cryptic as it is, there's a hint of hope as God speaks to the evil one, to Satan, that a coming he the head crusher is going to come and vanquish all evil. And he will come in victory. And so there's hope. The good news this morning is that there is hope for our neighbors. There, are, there is hope for our coworkers. There's hope for our fellow students. There's hope for the people that walk around these streets. A Redeemer has come. Jesus has come. And that which was separating us from the Father, sin, he's dealt with. And the possibility now for mortal beings to, to enter into sweet fellowship and communion with their creator is now made possible. The chasm has been gulfed, has been spanned by his shed blood on the cross. That's what we celebrated this morning. That's what we've remembered. This is what Jesus has done. The Redeemer has come. There's hope. The question is, does our co-workers, do our neighbors, do our relatives, do our 
children. Do they know it? And that's where we come in. Because we're placed here on this world to help point people to this wonderful good news. A Savior has come. A Redeemer in love has come to, to bring us to the Father, to give us the hope of eternal life, and to have in our own soul perpetual winter end and perpetual springtime begin. But we are the ones that God uses to share that good news. Over the next few weeks, we're going to focus on how we do that. We, we've just celebrated the overflow of God's love in this world and, and seen what God is doing around the world but we need to look at our own life and our own interactions with people and see that there's the possibility of God's overflow of his love and out of this truth to people who desperately need to hear it and see it and experience it. Desperate souls with a huge hole in their soul and it can only be filled by God. But Jesus has made a way. And he wants to use us <laughs> to tell him about it. So stay tuned over the next few weeks. Let's pray. My Father, there might be someone here this morning who has yet to put their trust in you. Thank you, Father, that you are the, the divine eye-opener. You are the, the divine heart-drawer. And I pray, Father, that you'd help them see, even right now in this moment, that eternal life can be theirs to enjoy, starting right now, today, by putting their faith and trust in the only means by which that is can become ours, and that is Jesus, who died for our sins. He rose again, offers us eternal life as a free gift. Amazing love. Our greatest need, Father, is for you. Even for those of us who already know you as our Savior, we need you, Father. And the people that are around us and surrounding us, and they need you. And so, Father, help us to maybe have a, a more God-shaped care and concern. That we can convey to them the wonderful good news of Jesus. That's in his name and for your glory we pray. Amen.